Glad that you are here. My name is Jeff. I'm a pastor here, and I just want to say thank you again uh, to Mr. Ryan Shaughnessy. Did he do a great job? I'm just thankful that, that he would lead worship for us, and uh, we, are, we are celebrating today, as he said, um, uh, Ben and Robin this morning welcomed baby Leo into the world at three o'clock, and we were super excited about that. Uh, so this is kind of a fun day for us because we're jumping into a new book, and I just got to tell you, I'm fired up about that. Uh, the reason, why, why, why are we doing Ephesians? Well, we had a series back in January that we entitled, This is What We Do, but I want to make sure that we have down also, this is who we are. And uh, so, um, if you would, I know that you, uh, if you're taking notes, those of you who have a bulletin, here's what I want you to do. I want you to, um, I want you to take that bulletin, uh, whatever you have to write notes, and I want you to write something down for me, okay? Uh, at the top of that, uh, a piece of paper, just get your pen out. I just want you to answer this question for me. Ready? You just answer it however you feel like is necessary to answer this question. Who are you? Who are you? How would you answer that question? Just go ahead, write some things down. And this is, you don't necessarily need to write a term paper. Uh, you can put some bullet points if you want, however you want. You could think about this in terms of like, if I was to try to be introducing uh, myself to somebody, what would I write down? Go ahead and write that down right now. Who are you? And I realize many of you are, you try to play to the prof. You're trying to figure out like, what is it I'm looking for? What kind of an answer? And, and, and this is a pop quiz from a pastor, so you're trying to make it uber spiritual. I realize you're, some of you are, frantically searching for a life verse right now, just in case I call on you to share what you have written down. Fear not, I am not going to do that. Who are you? Let me demonstrate this for you. I, I want to introduce you to somebody. I didn't tell him I was going to do this ahead of time. I probably should have. Uh, I want to introduce you to my friend, uh, Mr. Scott Mucko right here. Scott, can you just like raise your hand so like, people know who you are? This is Scott Mucko, right? Love this guy. Uh, his lovely wife, Miss Steph, is not here, unfortunately. She's one of the ones that went down sick this week. But now I've told you his name. I've told you his primary relationship. And, and obviously, guys, what's one of the, the next thing, one of the first things that we ask somebody when we're trying to get to know them? We ask them, what is it that you, what do you do? And so I'm probably going to tell you that Scott is an elder here at Harvest. And then I'll tell you that he's got his own business. He's got the Mucko Group where they're, uh, he, he's, he's managing and developing properties. And, and I might tell you that he lives on Capitol Hill. And so I've given you a lot of information, probably the, all the information that you need to start drawing all sorts of conclusions about him. We got his name. We got his primary relationship. We got his occupation. We got even a location. That's plenty of information, right? And then that may be some of the things that you wrote down if you were to describe who you are. The question is, does that description define who you are? So why is this even important? Like, why are we, why are we even worried about this? Well, uh, a few, couple of reasons. Uh, one, we all know that who we are impacts how we live. And that's what we're going to see as we dive into the book of Ephesians. We're going to see who we are. And then how we're supposed to live in light of that. And as Christians, we're really in tune to that because that's pretty important for us. But another reason that I think this is important for us to get down is because I think we have a problem. 
I think we have a major identity crisis here in Northern Virginia. I just begun to notice that this is kind of a difficult area for us. Uh, far too many of us for far too long have been following our fallen and fractured culture on this one and we've used the same criteria that they use to define our identity and we've let the culture set the bar and tell us how we're supposed to think about ourselves without giving any thought to whether we're really asking the right questions or whether we're really listening to the right source for answers. Who am I? That's like a foundational philosophical question, isn't it? It's really important that we get that one down, but maybe even a better question for us this morning is, how in the world would I even know the answer to that? Well, the book of Ephesians is like a mirror. When we look into this, it's going to reveal to us who we really are. As we open up God's word, we're going to be able to see the truth about ourselves. This is reality. And that's why we're diving into this. So we're going to see who we are and then we'll know how we're supposed to live in light of that reality. And I think what we're going to find is that the way that our culture tells us to define our identity, uh, they, you know, they, they tell us, you know, it's, it's your name, that's a good thing. Uh, it's, it's your job, it's what you do, it's your performance, it's what you like, it's what you have, like whatever it is. But we're going to find that uh, the way that they tell us to define ourselves is at best merely scratching the surface, but it's probably deceiving and confusing us. And we get caught in this frantic and frustrating uh, game, right? This, this crisis identity game. You know what I'm talking about? Where we're struggling to be the person that we want to be or the person that everybody tells us that we uh, should be. And unfortunately, we look in all the wrong mirrors. We start looking around at like what social media tells us and we're looking at ourselves through that lens and we look at, our, we look at the magazines and we look at the movies and we look at our friends and we look at all these other places and who am I and help me figure this out. And so we start getting confused. You gotta have the right look. You gotta have the right clothes. You gotta drive the right car. You gotta have the right position at work. You gotta have the right friends and social life and experiences and freedoms and the right political passions and get behind the right causes and make the right posts on social media. And, and I'm just telling you, we, we get caught in this crazy crisis game and, and we get confused then about what it means to be like a citizen here. And in the workplace, we get confused about what it means to be an employee or uh, to be a manager. Even in the household, we get confused about what it means to be a husband or a wife or a son, a daughter, a brother, a sister, even in the church, we get confused about what it means to be a Christian. It's because we're looking in all the wrong mirrors. But when you know who you are, you can quit this crazy identity crisis game. All in favor of that? Who wants to quit that? I'm telling you, it's so much better when we can get into the Word of God, and I think what we're going to see are some incredible truths that are going to help us experience reality, and you're probably going to feel like, why in the world did I ever look to social media to tell me who I am? Like, why did I ever think that my broken culture could even give me a clue as to who I am? So you ready to look at the mirror? Let's do it. Ephesians chapter 1, 
if you're there, uh, we're going to read verses 1 through 6 this morning. You follow along with me as I read. It says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love, He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of His will to the praise of His glorious grace with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. Father, would You even speak to us right now? What what an incredible privilege that we could look into the mirror of Your Word and see truth and see reality. And I'm praying that You would use this Word, not mine. The messenger is nothing. The message is everything. And we need to hear from You that You would correct our faulty thinking, that we would see ourselves in light of who we are in You. God, that we would make much of You, not be enamored with ourselves that you would get the glory for it. So we pray these things asking that you would even meet with us this morning. We would hear from you in Christ's name. Amen. Well, uh, by way of introduction then, here we are starting this brand new book. We're going to be in this for a few months. And so uh, just so that we kind of get our bearings here, uh, we have, um, this is a letter obviously, and uh, the first two verses tell us some really important context, okay? Uh, First, we get the author, and the author is Paul. Thank you. The author is Paul, and he is an apostle, and many of you will remember uh, his story, how he was ravaging the church. He was taking people out. He hated Jesus, and then he, uh, Christ met him on the road to Damascus and transformed his life. Remember this? And now, he's like the world's greatest church planter. He's going around and proclaiming the gospel, and then gathering these people that are believing in Christ together and forming the church and strengthening and encouraging the church and then appointing elders over them. And so that's his mission in one of these churches is here, uh, the church in Ephesus. And so Paul's writing this letter and he probably meant it meant for it to be circulated and read in the whole surrounding area. In fact, just to give you some context here and some geographical context, I've got a map. I've got a sweet map. I, I, this, I, I geek out on this stuff. And I don't need it because I'm, I'm like tall enough to show you, but I get to get my laser pointer out. Cool? This just makes me feel important and powerful. So uh, you'll notice right here, this is on his third missionary journey. Uh, Paul stopped at Ephesus. Now, this was not just like a one-night uh, pay-per-view uh, event in some stadium on a, an evangelistic tour, okay? He actually spent a considerable amount of time there. And, and we get that from Acts chapter 19, if, if you want a verse on that, uh, verse 10. Acts chapter 19, verse 10. He spent a couple years with these people. And, and so he spent some time with them. He loves them and he's really concerned about them. And uh, what we know about this letter is that much later after this, uh, Paul is writing this letter from jail. This is one of what we call the prison epistles. And we, we pick up some hints of that. Uh, you can see it, chapter 3, verse 1. He says, for this reason I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ. And then he says it again, chapter 4. He says, I therefore a prisoner for the Lord. Um, and, and if you would, just flip the page to chapter 6 uh, with me. Uh, chapter 6, at the very end of the letter, there, there's another indication, verse 20. He says, for which I am an ambassador in chains. So Paul's in jail. Uh, verse 21 If you notice, chapter 6, verse 21, 
He says, so that you may also know how I am and what I am doing, Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything, and I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. So, so here's the deal. Paul's probably in jail in Rome. That's where he got left off in Acts chapter 28. And so what does he do? He sends this guy, Tychicus. Be glad your parents didn't name you that, right? He's like, hey, Titch, I need you to go and, and hang out with the church there in Ephesus and take this letter. And that would have been a way for them. Uh, he'd have been, he would have been able to say like, yeah, I was there. I saw it. It's really from Paul. And he's available for Q&A afterwards. So, so he goes, just want to make sure that this church knows that we're doing okay. And I've got some things that I want to share with them. But this is also kind of meant for uh, maybe even a broader audience. And we get that in chapter 1. Paul doesn't give us a whole lot of personal details. Instead, he just jumps right into some awesome theology. In fact, if you're looking at chapter 1, you see, uh, uh, you'll see this whole section that we've nicely broken off here with verses, uh, verses 3 through 14. In the Greek, that is one long, continuous, run-on sentence. It's like Paul just wants to dive into this deep theology and he forgot to take a breath. But we're going to break it up because I think we're going to get our first look in the mirror here that reveals a powerful and foundational truth about who we are. And I want you to see it. Look at verse 4. Here's the heart of what we're looking at this morning. I want you to see this. He says, even as he, watch this, chose us in him. We are chosen. You know that? We are chosen. Can you say that with me? Let's say it together. Come on, let's say it. We are chosen. That's our big idea this morning. And I want to tell you that that's a good thing. There are some things you may not want to be chosen for, like jury duty or that random uh, security selection at the airport. Or you probably don't want to be chosen in a police lineup. That would not be a good thing. But this, I just want to tell you, this is a fantastic privilege. This is awesome, and it's going to change everything about us that God chose us. We are chosen. That's our big idea this morning. Now let me uh, tell you why that's a good thing. Can I do that? If you're taking notes, here's just a couple reasons, two reasons why this is a really good thing. One, we get assurance. We get assurance. Paul says, uh, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, verse 3, who has blessed us. Do you see it there? He has blessed us. What are the next two words? In Christ. In Christ. These words are foundational. These are central to understanding this book. In fact, Paul uses this little phrase, in Christ, two times more than the average of any of his other letters. This is really important for you to get. In fact, he's used it multiple times in the verses we've just read. You look at it in verse 1, uh, you see that this was to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful, there it is, in Christ Jesus. And then verse 3, he has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. Verse 4, he chose us in him. Verse 5, he predestined us for adoption as sons uh, through Jesus Christ. Verse 6, he has blessed us in the beloved. So what, what Paul's trying to get across to you is uh, when you look in this mirror, you just have to know, uh, if I could just write across this, what you're looking at is in Christ. In Jesus, he's changed everything. 
You are not the same. You are changed. You are a new creation. And so the things that you are seeing in this mirror are different because of Jesus. You have an I was, but God. Man, I was doing my thing. I, I, I was fine over here. I didn't need Jesus. I didn't need all of that. I, I was going my direction, and all of a sudden, God interrupted me in the middle of that and helped me understand I was a sinner in desperate need of a Savior, and his name is Jesus, and he changed my life, and I'll never be the same again. That's what we're looking at here when we look in this mirror. We are in Christ. So I guess I have to ask the question then, are you in Christ? Are you in Jesus? Do you belong to Jesus? Because the things that we're going to see here are really only true about those of us who have put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ for salvation. If you're looking at this mirror and you don't know Christ, then these glorious truths, you're not going to see them in the mirror because you're not in Christ. We want that to be your reality. That you would put your faith in Him and you would start to see these same things. Now, there's some awesome truths here and some great assurance. Look at what we have. Those of us who are in Christ, verse 3 says, He has blessed us in, in Him, in Christ, with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. So all of these blessings that we get cannot be taken away from you. Is that awesome assurance? Because they're not just here on earth. This isn't just temporal like you get a few. It's, it's kind of like give your life to Jesus. He'll, he'll make things better. No, like honestly, your, your life might get a lot worse. It might get a lot uh, more difficult if you give your life to Jesus here. But we have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. We have eternal rewards. We have all of these blessings. And, and here it is, verse 4, that he, here, this is what we're looking at, he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Now that word, uh, he chose, I like to do this because it makes me feel really smart and it's impressive, right? Uh, the Greek is the word eklegomai. You can laugh at me, by the way. That's, I, I, I get it. Uh, the Greek word is eklegomai. It's where we get the word uh, election. It literally means that God chose. He picked you out. God chose the people whom he would save. I know that's kind of crazy when we start to think about it, and I know that there are all sorts of implications, and your mind starts asking all sorts of questions, but can I just tell you, uh, the point is, this, this is the point, it's kind of shocking who he chose, isn't it? Would you just do me a favor, you don't need to turn there, but would you just write this reference down? I want you to write this verse down. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 26 through 29. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 26 through 29. Paul says this, uh, consider your calling, brothers. Hey, guys, I, I just want you to think about where you came from is what he's saying. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Now, if you're choosing the people that you want on your team, you're going to pick the people that are wise. You want really smart people. I'm, like, if I'm trying to like, uh, create this movement and, and see it going around the world, then, and I want to pick some uh, professionals, some some, you know, the, the experts. We want people that have their bachelor's and their master's and their PhD. They have all that alphabet soup before their name. We want people that are impressive like that. But uh, it, God says, no, not many of you were wise. Not many of you were powerful. Hey, if we're 
choosing teams, then let's get the people that are really going to bring some influence, that have some power, that can make a difference, right? Those are the kind of people, he says, no, no, not many of you are powerful. Not many of you are of noble birth. Man, what better way to get the word out than to get some famous people on your team, right? And he says, no, not many of you are noble birth, but God chose what is foolish. God chose what is weak. God chose what is low and despised so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. You know what's crazy? If I'm in Christ, I believe in Jesus, then God picked me. That's crazy. It makes me think um, of when I was in high school. And I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get vulnerable here for just a minute, okay? And I'm, I'm going to trust that you have goodwill and you're not going to use this information against me. Uh, are we cool? Are you okay with that? Like, don't blackmail me with this, okay? When I was a freshman in high school, I was almost five foot three, maybe 100 pounds soaking wet. And um, I just want you to picture like glasses and comb over before it was hipster. And, and I've got like my Walmart jeans tucked into my shoes and I got my little trapper keeper. I, I was a nerd, okay? Uh, let's just say that nobody was recruiting me to play on the basketball team, for the football team. I don't even think the soccer coach wanted me. Nobody was picking me. And I'm just telling you, I get it. I understand. That's what I think of when I think of this, that God would choose me. It doesn't make any sense. He didn't pick me because I'm awesome. He's not impressed with me. He's not like, wow, I need that guy on my team. Look at verse 4. He says he, uh, he chose us in him when? When does it say? Before the foundation of the world. God chose me before I was even in existence. God chose you before he even created you. You know what that means, right? That means that God didn't choose you after you chose. He didn't choose you because of anything you had done to earn it. That means this, is un this election is unconditional. It's absolutely his grace. You are His, and you get all the blessings in Christ, and none of it is conditioned upon your performance, which is awesome news, because if it hinged on my choices and my performance, then I would have no assurance, but it's all because of the work of Christ I'm in. And I know that this, this doctrine can be difficult to wrap our minds around, and we may not have all our questions answered here in Ephesians 1, but, but you just have to know that this doctrine of election is not a club that you use to bludgeon people to win an argument. In fact, this, this doctrine is a comfort for rebellious sinners who would have no hope if it weren't for the grace of God in Christ, because it doesn't depend on me. And I can rest in this reality that He chose me and it doesn't make any sense but it's wonderful and the point is none of us deserve it none of us deserve it so when we look into the mirror of God's word this is the reality this is who we are this is the first thing that we're seeing this is who we are we are chosen by God he has drawn us to himself and it's his work and you just have to know that when you're looking in this this means that there's no reason for pride Okay? When you look into this mirror, 
You're not suddenly going to stop and look at yourself and be like, hmm, man, I look good. You're just not doing that. That's not what's happening. When you get into this word, you're going to look at this. You're like, I don't get it. I don't understand. It doesn't make any sense. But it's awesome that he has drawn me into himself. So stop trying to form your identity. It's not what you do. Your identity is all wrapped in what God has done for you. And we spin circles on the crazy identity crisis game. We're just constantly trying to gain people's approval, gain their acceptance, and we're worried if that we make a wrong move, they're going to unlike us or they're going to defriend us. And so we, we, we primp and we prep in the mirror and, and we try to catch our best angle so that we can give ourselves some self-reassurance that we're acceptable and that people will choose us. And so we display our credentials. We parade those out in front. We try to capture our, our best and most brilliant moments and we highlight those. That's, that's my profile pic. That's what I want people to see. And I want people to, I want them to notice me and I want them to be impressed with that because then I'll have assurance. And listen, the worst part in all of it the part that gives me doubt and the part that maybe even sends me into depression is that I know I'll never measure up. Because I know me. I live with me all the time. And my faults leave me crippled in fear that people are going to find out. They're going to see. And then that house of cards that I've kind of constructed to make me feel like I have independence and, 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 and I'm secure and I'm important. It's all going to come crashing down. Hey, if you've been struggling with some insecurity and maybe even secretly struggling, can I just tell you, stop freaking out. You've been looking in all the wrong mirrors. God wants you to pick up the mirror of His Word this morning and hear this. He chose you. We belong to Him because He wanted us. Which means there's no reason to fear. If He chose you before the foundation of the world not based on your performance, then there is nothing that you can or ever will do that will change that. That's assurance. That's assurance. That you can let your hair down without fear that he's suddenly going to change his mind, that he's going to be like, yeah, forget it. No. Why? Well, because he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. See, we're acceptable in the sight of God because he has given us the righteousness of Christ. It's not ours. When he looks down at us, he sees us as holy. And we didn't earn it. And we don't deserve it. But when we stand before God, there's no fear that we will be condemned. Romans 8 tells us that, right? Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ. Because we are chosen, we are holy. Not the other way around. So he says, verse 5, he predestined us for adoption 
as sons. That means you get a new name and you get a new family. And some of us are super excited about that. Like my poor kids, they got stuck with the last name Hohenshell. That's rough. They got to like figure out how to spell that one. So isn't it awesome that we get a new name? I get to be a son. I get to be a daughter of the king. I belong to this family. This adoption is a legal procedure where we are literally transferred into God's family. And it's a reminder that we didn't always belong to this family. We just got to be honest with ourselves, right? I love to think that I'm awesome and that God chose me because I'm impressive, but that's just not the case. In fact, I belong to this kingdom of darkness. I was born in sin. And, and sometimes I have a hard time getting, seeing past that when I look in the mirror. Do you? You ever feel um, like stuck, trapped in your past or trapped in your sins? Like, man, I want to get out of this, but I just feel like this... This just defines who I am. Like, it's, I just feel like I can't get out of it. And, and then we start labeling ourselves by our sin. And man, I, I'm a sinner. I'm a, I'm a liar. I'm a thief. I'm an addict. I'm a homosexual. I'm a hater. I'm a hypocrite. No, 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 no. Look into God's mirror. Look into the mirror of God's word. And it's going to remind you, that's not who you are anymore. That doesn't define you because in Christ, we're not defined by our sin. We are identified by our relationship with God the Father. Our primary relationship has changed. And so we love to tell people, man, if you want to know who I am, I belong to him. I'm in his family because adoption means that God chose you. He knows everything about you. And he still steps in and says, you're mine. You're my son. You're my daughter. We've made some major advances in genetic research and engineering. And uh, as many of you know, uh, Chris and I just had our fourth uh, little baby, Javen, a couple months ago. And while we were in the process leading up to that, there's all, like, those of you who've been through this, you know, there's all sorts of tests that they want to run. And, and, and we just kind of noticed that there's all, there, there seems to be even more tests now. And, and I remember at one point they were coming out and telling us that they needed to run this other test. And, and Chris and I were kind of asking, like, well, what, what, what's, what's it for? And, and they said, I don't even remember what it's for now. Uh, but they're, they're explaining what it was. And, and we're trying to ask, the, like, why? Like, does that, what, 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 does that change something in the delivery if you know that? Like, why do you need to run that test? And of course, some of you know why, don't you? Because more and more, um, these kind of risks, parents are alerted to potential disabilities that your baby might have, like uh, Down syndrome, for example. Or I remember when Jolie and Judah, when we first found out those first ultrasounds, both of them actually had cysts on their brains. And they're like, we don't know if this is going to be nothing or if this is going to be something major. We don't know. And you, you know as well that with this last pregnancy with Javen, we had some uh, major concerns about uh, Carissa's health going through all of this. And, and often these kinds of risks are presented to you so that you might consider the option of abortion. Just kill the baby now to avoid a life of disability or potential problems. We have... Um, some people that are very near and dear to us that 
years ago wanted to adopt. And I, this, this is just such a beautiful picture of the gospel. Uh, and they, you just got to know, they, 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 they heard about this little baby girl that they were going to adopt, and they were super fired up, so excited. You can just imagine, they, 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 were, they were told that they could go, and they're on their way. They're literally driving to go and pick this little girl up, and they got a phone call that told them that the baby girl had been born with some severe disabilities. Now what would you do? What would you be feeling in that moment? I love that they adopted her, made her part of their family. That was about 20 years ago now. She's incredibly special to our family. My kids love her. But what's crazy to me is that many people in our culture now don't even want to deliver a baby with particular inconveniences, let alone adopt one. So think about what God is doing here. That God chooses what the world would never choose. What a beautiful thing that he would adopt the foolish, the weak, the low, the despised. Because that's me. That's us. Are you thankful for that? That he predestined means he determined. He's going to see this process through to the end. He's going to get it all the way through until the adoption papers are signed. We have the assurance of God's determination. He has chosen us, and he does all the work to make us his own. We get the assurance that he wants us, not dependent on our our performance. The papers are signed. It's done. I'm in. I'm part of the family. How awesome is that? He wants me. Not because of what I bring to the team. But he wants me to experience. He wants me to share in the inheritance. And he wants me to take on the family resemblance. Hey, some of you need to stop looking in all the wrong mirrors. And you just need to hear this again. Look up here. Look up here. He chose you. In fact, I know you wrote down that description of yourself. I want you to look at it again. I don't know what it is that you, how you described yourself there, but would you just take your pen right now and over top of all of it, would you just write, I am chosen by God. We are chosen. Why is that good news? Well, one, uh, we get assurance, and two, write this down. He gets the glory. He gets the glory. Verse 3, I mean, Paul uh, starts this letter by saying, uh, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul is praising God the Father, and often he would appropriately start a letter by um, highlighting or, or, or thanking God for uh, their faith or their work in the gospel or something praiseworthy that they've done, a reason that he's really thankful for them. But here, he just goes straight up. And we know, even though we're looking in the mirror about who we are in Christ, it should be pretty clear now that Paul has no intentions of us becoming enamored with ourselves and how we look. Okay? Is that pretty clear? Uh, My, you you know, my third child, JC, 
uh, she is, she's just a sparkle. That's actually what her name means. And she just flits and floats. And right now, she loves to put on skirts and dresses like every day. In fact, it's a punishment if she doesn't get to wear a dress. And, and I, I think it's, it's just adorable. And, and, and what's funny to me now is to watch her catch a glimpse of herself in the mirror, right? And she's just got to stop and she's got to start posing. And it's like she can't stop looking at herself. And it's cute. But listen, listen. It's not cute when we get enamored with ourselves. Because if we look at ourselves and we're filled with pride and self-importance, then I'm telling you, we're not really looking in the right mirror. Because in Christ means this isn't really about us at all. This is not an egocentric book. The more we look at this, the more we see Christ, the more we see that he is exalted. He gets the glory in all of this. He deserves it, and we want to make much of him. And the reason that he did any of this, verse 5, is according to the purpose of his will. Or we could translate that, the good pleasure of his will. It's his pleasure. The reason that he chose us is it's, it's his will. This was his plan. He did this because he wanted to. And we don't get much more explanation than that. And that may not answer all of our questions. We may not completely understand it. But guys, we can have confidence and assurance that, that God is both sovereign, that he does whatever he pleases, and in whatever he does, he is good. And so predestination for us, it, this is an encouragement because it's his pleasure, he wants this, it's his plan. We are chosen and he will get the glory. So verse 6, it says, to the praise of his glorious grace. If it made sense why he chose us, it wouldn't really be grace, would it? Well, of course he chose him. I mean, look at him. He's like, he's a stud and he's so important. And like, well, yeah, he chose her. I mean, she's kind of like a model and Mother Teresa all rolled into one. That makes sense. No, 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 no. Listen, nobody. The reality is he didn't choose anyone that was deserving. No one is righteous. No one is worthy. And no one, he says in Romans 3, even seeks God. And so it's grace. It's always been grace. And it will always be grace. And so like a man or a woman who would walk into a dingy orphanage and stoop to pick up a screeching infant covered in its own filth, willing and eager to become a father, to become a mother, and to bring that abandoned child into a loving into a family, God the Father picks and adopts the worst of sinners, the lowest rejects the world would never want, and His grace is powerfully on display. Guess who gets the glory? He is so gracious. And we love his grace, and so we sing about it. The reason we are chosen, the reason we are adopted, and that he extends his grace is because he loves. Look at it in verse 4 again. He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love, He predestined us for adoption of sons through Jesus Christ. That's some assurance, isn't it? Before He flung planets into space, before He formed the mountains, before He filled the oceans, before any man ever walked the earth, He had you on His mind. And the reason he loves is because he is love. 
which means he's a God that is worthy to be praised. And the appropriate application for us is just unashamed adoration. That we would lift high the name of Jesus. Why do we lift high the name of Jesus? Well, because God the Father sent his Son. And that Son became obedient. Obedient even to death on that cross. And because he lowered himself, God therefore has raised him and given him a name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father.